close and pray for our time this morning. Father, we thank you uh, for the privilege we have to be entrusted with the gospel, uh, to then be able, uh, you put each of us on a mission to be able to proclaim that to those around us. So, Lord, we, uh, we pray um, in particular just for the, um, the booth that's going to be set up at the Hood River County Fair. Pray that you be with Beth and Craig, and thank you for them being here this morning, and pray that we would be able to support them in prayer and as a church to send people and um, as volunteers to come alongside them. Lord, we pray and thank you for the opportunity that Patricia had with um, one of the people she was driving and someone who's professing you but doesn't really know the gospel or things of you. So we just pray that there would indeed be follow-up, that this um, um, uh, woman would uh, get a, a good study Bible and would start learning, uh, would start learning about you and what the gospel truly is. Lord, we pray for... Um, uh, Lucy, just thank you for Brenda's opportunity to just disciple Lucy. We thank you for the life that is there, that is evident. Uh, and though she may not have all the understanding um, and has come with a lot of baggage from an atheistic background, Lord, we thank you for the life that is in her. We thank you for the privilege of being able to baptize her in this church. And we just pray for growth for her. Uh, and even um, as she's had some opportunity to share with her family, um, for, for Lucy to share with her family. I just pray that you would bless those seeds. So, Lord, we, we thank you how you are at work in ways that we can't fathom. Lord, just help us to be a faithful people. Lord, as we come to your um, just talking more about you as Trinity, uh, Lord, may you warm our hearts, our affections with the truth. Um, may you bless us um, richly this morning. We want to understand you as much as you have revealed. We know that there are things about yourself that you have not revealed and will only reveal in eternity um, forever, O oh Lord God. But we want to understand the things you have revealed. So guard us, protect us, keep us thinking about you rightly that we might relate to you rightly. And we just pray these things and ask for our time this morning in your name. Amen. All right, so uh, where we're at, we are talking about the uh, relationships between the persons, and so we've talked about the relationship between the Father and Son, and what we've been focusing on the last uh, couple weeks is the relationship of the Spirit to the Father and the Son, and basically what we've done is we've walked through several passages, and we see a, re we see a recurring pattern. We see a recurring pattern of uh, the son, uh, the the spirit proceeding from the father, uh, to um, really, in some sense, uh, give uh, give the son his existence. So that's in line with what we talk about with eternal generation, not a, a begetting that has ever begun. It's not a making. It's not a, the son is not a creature. But what we do see, even in that analogy of the the uh, speaker, breath, and word, is that the the son. Uh, is really eternally begotten, it seems like, uh, by the Spirit from the Father. Uh, just like a word can't come forth unless you have breath to attend it, that is the idea. And so we walked through several passages to kind of see a pattern like that. We talked about like the baptism of Jesus, Jesus' ministry. Uh, we've talked about uh, John, even, even in our own, as believers, our own spiritual birth, even though that, that birth is by adoption, really. Uh, John, the apostle, uses the language of birth, and so we talked about that last week, and that birth happens through the Spirit, and even though it's our spiritual birth, we know that John kind of blends those concepts. You've got the only begotten, the Son, the uniquely begotten, the Son, and yet we know as sons and daughters by the Spirit, we are given new life, a spiritual life, uh, and so there's, there's an there's a overlap there. 
And that's where we left off. And everything we've seen thus far is really the direction from the Father, by the Spirit, to the Son. That's what we've seen. There's one direction. But now what we want to talk about today is the other direction. Uh, Well, okay, how does the Son, uh, in relation to the Spirit and the Father, how does that work? The kind of the reverse direction, if you will. So we're going to look at a couple passages that show us that. Go to Luke 10. Go to Luke 10. This is a really cool passage. Uh, Go to Luke 10, and we're going to look at verses 21 and 22. And when someone gets there, uh, someone go ahead and read Luke 10, 21, and 22. Now, uh, let's focus in particular on verse 21 for a minute. What is happening? What Trinitarian information do we get? Okay, so the I is Jesus. Jesus is the speaker in this case, right? It's the Son speaking. But what else do you notice? He's talking to his Father. How? In the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. So here, now the direction is son to father, right? Rather than what we've been primarily looking at, father to son. What we see the son speaking to the father by means of the Holy Spirit. So his speech here, um, and what is he doing? What is the son doing in his speech? He's praising. He's um, praising the father. He's rejoicing in the father by means of the Holy Spirit. And then what's interesting, of course, is that, you know, in verse 22, um, you know, it's that same thing that we, um, we've seen before. The Father gives all things to the Son, um, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and, um, and anyone to whom the Son reveals the Father, and vice versa. And so uh, we see this Trinitarian kind of dialogue and relationship. In 22, Jesus does switch to talking to the crowds, but we see the Son rejoices in the Father by means of the Spirit. Now, just pair that with the baptism. Think about what goes on at the baptism. What does the Father say to the Son at the baptism of oh, Jesus? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So if you think back to that pattern, the Father is rejoicing in the Son, and that whole situation is attended by the Spirit, isn't it? Right? So you've got... The Father speaking to the Son, rejoicing in the Son by means of the Spirit, or at least attended by the Spirit. And then here we see the reverse direction, the the Son rejoicing in the Father by means of the Spirit. The Spirit is active in both directions, um, and that's kind of what we see here. Any other things you see in this passage, right, um, or questions uh, before we move on? Again, we just see a few things. We're going to move on, highlight a few other things. But yeah, Bruce. Yeah, so that would be um, the idea that any, anyone who becomes, 
And we see the same thing in Matthew. It's phrased a little bit differently, but it's the same basic statement. And the idea is uh, you, you, can't, you can't know the Father unless you come through the Son. The Son has to open your eyes. The Son has to teach you. Uh, we know that that ultimately happens through regeneration by the work of the Spirit so that we come to know the Son, but ultimately so that we know the Father. Um, and so we kind of see that dynamic here. What's that? What, what, what are you saying there? The first he. Yes, anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Yes. Believers, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything else from this passage? Okay, then let's go to another. This one's also very cool. Go to Galatians 4. Galatians 4. And again, we're just kind of looking at that other direction from Son to Father. Um, someone read Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Very good. Okay, what Trinitarian information do you see in this section of verses? There's lots. You see the Father sending the Son. Uh, where are you seeing send the Spirit? Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Genevieve. Yep. Yeah, very good. So you see the Father sending the Son, and you see the Father sending the Spirit. Very good. Uh, uh, what else? Yeah, and in particular, so here's, here's where this is really... Uh, Abba Father, the Son speaking to the Father, Abba Father... Uh, that is what Jesus says in Gethsemane. So if you were to look at Mark 14, 34 through 36, you would see the son crying out to the father in Gethsemane, and he uses this language of Abba, Father. But who is crying out Abba, Father here? Us, right? So, uh, and because of why? Because of the spirit of our hearts. What kind of spirit? I mean, obviously the Holy Spirit, but what... The spirit of the Son. So you see Paul's logic here. Paul is talking about really our adoption as sons and daughters into the family of God. But uh, we cry to the Father the same thing that Jesus, the Son, the only begotten Son, cries to the Father. Why? By the Spirit. By the Spirit of the Son. What's interesting here, I don't know if you caught this, but God sends the Spirit of His Son. So it's not just like the Spirit of Sonship. It's the Spirit of his son into our hearts and then the spirit the spirit is the one who's crying abba father did you notice that it's us crying abba father yes but literally the grammar is uh, the spirit is the one crying abba father not because the spirit is the son but it's because it's the spirit of the son his son 
And so uh, what do we see here? We see the Father sending the Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, and we are adopted children, and we get to utter, by means of the Spirit, the same language that the only begotten offers to the Father, right? And so what do we see here? It's the exact same thing we were seeing in Luke, just a different angle on it, is the communication between the Son and his Father is by means of the Spirit. And then, as adopted children of God, um, we are regenerated by the Spirit, uh, born from above by the Spirit, John 3. And then, what happens as believers in this era, as new covenant believers, the Spirit indwells us so that we get to fellowship with the Father and the Son by means of the Spirit of the Son. The communication from son to father is by means of the spirit. And as adopted sons and daughters, the same thing happens. Communication with the father um, and, the, and the son happens by means of the spirit. So if we were to kind of put the pieces together, what is the spirit doing, right? The spirit is facilitating communication from father to son and son to father. He is the means of that love between the two. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second. Anything else you're seeing from this particular passage? And that effectively is what Romans, I think it's Romans 10, it's either the last part of 9 or the beginning of part of Romans 10 where it talks to that reality. Now there are individual Israelites who do experience regeneration by the Spirit, though not indwelling, indwelling waits for the the time of the new covenant. Um, So there are some in Israel who are adopted as sons and daughters, but not the nation as a whole. Right, and because they're just like Tony said, they're they're using the law as a means of redemption, and they can't see the son as the means of redemption. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's pop um, back to John. Um, jo- now, th- these are the passages that are normally brought up pretty quickly when you talk about how does the Spirit relate to the Father and the Son. John fifteen twenty six, John sixteen thirteen through fifteen, and we've talked about these a little bit. But let's go ahead and go back there, and let's 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 um, talk about them. So let's start in John fifteen twenty six. So this is before Jesus is about to die and rise again, and then ascend to the Father, um, and he's teaching his disciples a whole bunch before he leaves. But he gives them some information about the Spirit coming to the church. Okay. And uh, in, 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 in an indwelling way, uh, he says at one point in this whole discourse, um, he's with you, but he's going to dwell in you. Uh, he makes that distinction. Um, so when we talk about the sending of the spirit, he's talking about the sending of the spirit to indwell. Okay, John 15, 26. Uh, someone go ahead and read that. Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me, 
Okay, so what do you see? Uh, what Trinitarian information do we have here? Yeah, and specifically, what does it say about the helper coming from the Father? Well, okay, so the Son sends him. We see that. But in relation to the Father, how does the Spirit relate? What is the language that's used here? Okay, uh, that, no, that's the Spirit bearing witness to the Son in relation to the Father. Proceeds, right? That's the key language, right? That's the language uh, that's used in the, the uh, Constantinople Nicene Creed of 381. The Spirit proceeds from the Father, okay? Is that same language used in relation to the Son? I was actually just going to ask that question. Yeah, good question. It's more like sent, but at the same time, those, those seem somewhat interchangeable in my mind. So yeah, yeah. And so that's historically what happened, is that people said, well, see, the Son sends the Spirit, so the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, because you see the Son sending the, uh, this, the Spirit in this case. Well, first, we need to notice, who is the Son sending the Spirit to? Us, the church, right? Um, he is sending uh, the Spirit to the church as a gift, um, right? As the purchased gift from uh, his work uh, on the cross and resurrection, he is sending it to indwell us. But formally, at least, um, the language, it's not procession, it's sending. There's a potential difference there. Now, they seem synonymous, so that's why in history... Uh, that Remember that filioque clause that we talked about uh, that began to be added and um, it was officially first added in Council of Toledo in Spain in 589, uh, so a couple centuries later, right? And that, that's essentially what Western theologians started to do. They looked at this and said, well, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. But that's not actually what the text says. In fact, what you see here is what? The Spirit proceeds from the Father... And then the son sends him, but that's slightly different, right? It's still ultimately a procession from the father and then ascending from the son. Uh, you can see this a little, uh, again, a similar passage just, just a few verses later. Uh, skip down to 16.12. Let's read from 16.12 to 15. Someone go ahead and read that. Okay, so what do we see here? Yep. 
Although, Jesus then backs it up a step in verse 15. He says, all that the Father has is mine. So you see that same pattern of the Father passing on to the Son, who in turn, the Son hands it on. Uh, in this case, he's talking about the Spirit coming to the church and handing by means of the Spirit, uh, handing revelation by means of the Spirit onto the church. But the initiative still starts with the Father, right? And so you see that kind of chain of command. Even what's interesting here. When he says um, he's not going to speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. That's, uh, if you remember, earlier parts in John, Jesus effectively says the same thing about himself. He talks about how he's heard, and we would understand, uh, it seems like Jesus is talking from all eternity. He has heard what the Father has spoken to him, and then he declares that. He doesn't speak on his own authority. The Son doesn't speak on his own authority. But then here, Jesus is saying the same thing with regard to the Spirit. And so it seems like even whatever he hears, it's the Spirit hearing from the Father and then speaking to the church. Yes, the Son is sending him, but there's no implication of the Spirit proceeding from the Son. He, the Son sends the Spirit to the church, but ultimately that Spirit is given from the Father. Okay, uh, Here's another way to think about it. When we talk about procession, um, procession is like begottenness, different but similar. Okay, remember we talked about the eternal begottenness of the Son. Um, that's from all eternity. The Father eternally begets the Son. Um, procession is like that. The Father, or the Spirit, eternally proceeds from the Son. The Spirit uh, has His existence as a person uh, from the Father, proceeding. But we know where, uh, but the whole sending idea is something that is an action. It happens, it has a, there was a time that the son wasn't yet sent, right? He hadn't yet come into the world. And yet there's a time when that happens. Similarly, there's a time when the spirit didn't indwell the church, but the spirit is sent. But when you talk about procession and eternal begottenness, that's an eternal always happening, never had a beginning sort of a thing. And so these passages that are normally pointed to to say, well, see, the Spirit proceeds from the Son as well as the Father, they actually don't say what they're claimed to say. At least that's how I view it. Um, and I, I think that the text supports that. But it's that same pattern, right? The Father um, sending the Son. And yes, the Son sending the Spirit. Um, but the ultimate initiative comes from the Father. Okay? What questions do you want to ask? Yes. People that are carrying it out. So the son is telling him no, but it's ultimately coming from the father. Yes. Kind of like that. Yes. Um, yeah, and it's authorized by the father, if you want to think about it like that. So, yeah, so Rachel just said, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it, the analogy is going to fall short, yes. but but we're going to use, no, 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 it's, it's fair. There's an order to the Trinitarian life. The father takes the initiative, he, um, he sends the son. And he sends the Son, and he even authorizes the Son to send the Spirit. But ultimately, that Spirit is coming from the Father. Um, so there's sort of, there's that order being played out in the Trinitarian life. Now, the key thing to keep in mind when we talk about order, we are not at all, and we never assert that there is any distinction and deity between the three persons. Uh, 
you know, Hebrews 1, the Son is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. So there is no question whatsoever that the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are equally God. But that does not mean that they have, uh, they don't, that does not mean they have all the same roles in the Trinity. There's an order to it, uh, which is hard for our minds to grasp because every time we think about, um, we think about like someone ordering or commanding or whatever or submission, we think in terms of superiority of like nature, like you're, you're somehow more important or more of a person. But even in drawing on that military analogy, is a general any more of a person than a lieutenant? No. Uh, they're equally persons. It's just that it so happens that they have this particular role in how they live out their life, right? And that's what's going on uh, when we talk about the life of the train. All right, Lori had her hand up, and then I'll come back to you, Tony. Let's flip over there real quickly. So that is, um, so the, the sun is resurrected. Uh, it's 2021, where are you? Yeah, there we go. Um, so go to John 2021. 20, um, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. So father sending the son, now the son is sending the church. Uh, and in particular here, the apostles. Uh, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you forgive the sins of any, there we've forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it's withheld. And so what he is doing here, in my view, is he is giving a preview of Pentecost, right? Um, because Pentecost hadn't happened yet. But he's giving a preview and saying, all right, he's, he's strongly connecting with what just happened. He just was resurrected. He's appearing to them. And he's basically saying, based on all of this, I am going to be sending the Spirit to you. And he gives a very dramatic portrayal of that. But the sending he's talking about here is a, a sending that's going to happen at Pentecost, right? It's, it's not an eternal sort of a thing. It's, it's, a, it's, an, uh, it's an action, uh, a stage in redemptive history that's about to play itself out. So in this case, because it's being from son to the church... Not necessarily, I mean, some people argue this way, but it doesn't seem to me it's necessarily a pattern that indicates anything in eternity. So, uh, Mike. Yes, exactly. Very good. Yeah, Tony. Mm -hmm. the purpose of the Son. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Mm. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me mm -hmm. and have believed that I came from God. Mm -hmm. I came from the Father into the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is kind of giving a purpose to why the Son came mm -hmm. and then manifested mm -hmm. Yes, yes, very good. So we tie all this together, and I mean, uh, and exactly what you're saying, Tony, it, it, it becomes 
really profound, all that's, that's happening, not only internal to the Trinity, but how uh, the Trinity sweeps us up. And the Father ultimately sweeps us up into the life of the Trinity, right? Because the Father, it says here, the Father himself loves you, right? So we think about, um, we, we think about John. What, what is affirmed is the Father eternally loves the Son. The Son eternally loves the Father. John 17 talks about, Jesus talks about how the Father uh, loved him before the foundation of the world. So there's always been an eternal love between the Father and the Son and the Son to the Father by means of the Spirit, the Spirit is really uh, is facilitating that communication, that fellowship in eternity. And then what happens is the Father sends the Son into the world. The Son does his work, and he um, redeems the people that the Father gave to the Son. Um, and then that people, after the, the Son is resurrected, ascended on high, he sends forth the Spirit of the Son, the Spirit of adoption, by which we can cry to the Father, Abba, Father, that eternal, so, and now that, that, that love relationship is extended through, um, to us. Uh, obviously not in the same intensity or the same duration, but very much being swept up into that uh, Trinitarian life, right? So, th- again, that just highlights the practicality of the doctrine of the Trinity. It is not some just mere academic, um, uh, just like, let's try to figure out, like, this formula. It's, it's this is our very life. Uh, as Christians. That's why if you don't believe in the Trinity, you're not a Christian. You're not believing the right God, um, right? So uh, let's tie up some of these threads a little bit. Let's draw some conclusions about um, our looking at the Spirit's relationship to the Father and the Son. First, we've already said this. It seems as if uh, we could say this statement based on the patterns and the scriptures we've looked at. The Father eternally begets the Son by the Holy Spirit. So uh, you can kind of think about it like this. Procession is the means of begetting, right? The Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father, and in that procession, well, he's proceeding to the Son, he's, he's begetting the Son, right? There's that process. So the Father eternally begets the Son by the Holy Spirit. That's what I would argue based on the patterns in the text we've looked at. Uh, so this is where, you know, I, I mentioned, I started this whole kind of discussion of the Spirit with the Filioque Clause, where it says um, the, uh, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, that's the Filioque Clause. Does The Filioque Clause seems to contradict what we see in Scripture. And so I'm happy to affirm Nicaea 381, and yet uh, the kind of Western tradition from there, I just don't see it. Um, and... Um, and so we go from there. Now, that's kind of an, sort of an aside. It's important, but uh, we've already, um, uh, so we've talked about that. If you wanted to kind of zoom out even a little bit more, we could probably say this as kind of the summary statement of how the Spirit uh, relates to the Father and the Son. The Spirit enables the love and fellowship between the Father and the Son. Uh, that happens first by this, uh, the Father eternally begetting the Son by the Spirit, but then as we've seen, uh, even in those patterns, especially with the Abba Father and what we saw in Luke 10, is that the, uh, the Spirit, uh, in both directions, the Father is well pleased with the Son, that's communicated by the Spirit, and then the, the Son is, um, it, uh, loves the Father, Abba Father, that's also communicated by the Spirit. And so that love relationship from all eternity is facilitated enabled by the love, uh, by the Spirit. The Spirit enables the love and fellowship between the Father and the Son. 
Um, it's instructive if you were, you don't have to turn there, but in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, you see, uh, may the love of God and the grace of Christ and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. And what's particularly tied to the Spirit is fellowship. Um, John will say in 1 John 1 that our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Well, by what means do we have fellowship with the Father and the Son? We have fellowship by means of the Spirit, because that's what the Spirit does, even from all eternity between Father and Son. Um, so, in a broad sense, you could say that, that the Spirit seems to enable the love and fellowship between the Father and the Son. Uh, in fact, what's interesting is if you were to look back to Augustine's notion of the Spirit, he would talk, and this is, this is not just Augustine, but people who built off Augustine, they would describe the Spirit as the bond of love and the gift between the Father and the Son. Now, I think that language is a little uh, misleading because it makes it sound like the Spirit's some sort of impersonal thing, like a bond or a gift. But we do see and have seen that the Spirit as a person facilitates the love and fellowship between the Father and the Son. And the Father does give to the Son the Spirit in an eternal sense. We've seen that the Spirit takes his direction from the Father. Just like the Son takes his direction from the Father, the Spirit takes his direction from the Father. Um, and we, we keep coming back to that speaker breath word analogy, right? The word doesn't exist apart from a breath, right? Even in our own speaking, and that seems to be what is being conveyed in John 1 and Genesis 1 in speaking about a speaker, a breath, and a word. Um, and we can also say in places like John 16, 13, the Spirit doesn't speak on his own authority. What is he doing? He's listening to the Father to take his direction, just like the Son does. And so to kind of sum that idea up, we could say this. The Son takes his direction from the Father by the Spirit. It's always the same thing. Father, the source... Uh, to the Son, by means of what? By means of the Spirit. Uh, think of the after the baptism of Jesus, right? Immediately after the baptism, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. So the Son is led by the Spirit, but as the Spirit of the Father. The Son does not take his direction from the Spirit in the same way that he does from the Father, right? It's not as if the Son is submitting to the Spirit independently. No, there's this total tie between all three persons, where the Son is submitting to the Father uh, by means of the Spirit. He's being led by the Spirit, but the Spirit as an agent um, from the Father. And so that's, that's kind of how we would sum all of this up. Now, uh, what questions do you, do you have? So let me read those three kind of summary statements real quick. The Father eternally begets the Son by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit enables the love and fellowship between the Father and the Son. That's kind of the big one, if you were to really sum it up in one statement. And the Son takes his direction from the Father by the Spirit. Uh, those, based on the passages we've looked at, I think are the three statements we could kind of sum this up with. Uh, what questions do you have? Yes, Eden. Yes, well, what we would say is that, that, that an unbeliever ha is, is dead spiritually, right? Uh, and they need new birth by the Spirit, uh, ultimately from the initiative of the Father, purchased by the Son, right? And so we can pray in that sort of a way, right? 
uh, and even as we're proclaiming the gospel to people, you know, we talk, we can, we can talk about, um, you need to be, just like Jesus did with Nicodemus, you need to be born from above, born again, um, uh, by the initiative of the Father, by the work of the Spirit. And then you can describe the result. The result is, because of what Jesus did on the cross and resurrection, because of what the Son did in coming um, um, from the Father, the Father and the Son describe that eternal love relationship. The Father and the Son have had an eternal love relationship by means of this Spirit. The Spirit enables that fellowship. And so what does the Father do? The Father sends the Son to purchase, uh, well, first, our righteousness in God's eyes, but then the sun ascends. We don't usually talk about, we talk about the resurrection, but we don't talk about the sun ascending. But that's important because the sun ascends to the right hand of the Father and sends the Spirit to the church so that the Spirit indwells us so that we can be brought into that uh, fellowship with the Father and the Son. So this is the gospel, right? Uh, the relationships that we're seeing between the persons really are a way of, if you talk at that level and you weave it in with the gospel, well, now that's way more compelling than just kind of, um, and I, I don't mean to mean this, I just, think it falls short a little bit. Normally when we share the gospel, God is holy. This is true, right? Uh, and he's going to uh, judge you eternally um, uh, because he has wrath for your sin. But Jesus came to die in your place so that, um, you know, you can be not endure God, the Father's wrath, but you can be made righteous in God's eyes. And so repent and trust in Jesus. Now, all of that is true, <laughs> but we're missing things, right? Uh, we're, we're missing, in a sense, uh, that it's not just that I'm warning you, I am warning you about God's judgment, but I'm wooing you uh, with, and the Son and the, the Spirit and the Father are wooing you by their love to enjoy uh, the fellowship with them. Because what's the end goal of Christianity? What does it even matter? What, what are we designed for? Well, John 17, 3 says this, that we may know you, the Father, this is Jesus talking, right? Uh, that they may know you, the Father, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The whole goal of Christianity, the whole goal of human existence, like we started this whole series with, is knowing God and enjoying God. So, like, you're talking to someone and, like, what's the big deal? Like, is it just fire insurance? No, 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 no. It's um, the sun coming to reign uh, in a new heavens and a new earth, uh, on the earth and enjoying the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity in a new heavens and a new earth. That's the gospel. Yes, Brenda. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Correct. Now, well, yeah. Ask your question. You see, that's, you see where I'm going. Yeah. So that has to be a process of discipleship. Lisa yes. isn't going to understand the Trinity. Correct. Right? But she understood Jesus. She understood yes. the wrath of the Father. Right. Fair enough, right? Like, and that's part of discipleship is that we want to grow in depth and knowledge of this. But the thing is about why do I say that? Uh, so, so even, let's back up a stage. We walked through from Old Testament, New Testament, highlighted a few passages where the Father hadn't revealed all, all um, the, the Trinity hadn't revealed all of those dynamics until the New Testament. So we understand that. 
But here's the thing. The specificity of faith gets more specific over time. So if you think about Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him in righteousness. Did, you, uh, did Abraham understand like uh, the gospel in the sense that um, the, Jesus is going to come and die for your sins? I don't think so. Now, he may have known that, yeah, there's, a, there's one coming um, and there's this promised one and there's this seed that somehow is going to save us. So he trusts in God's promises as they are specified at the time. But as God reveals more content, now we are held accountable to that more specific content, including the Trinity, right? So uh, when we, uh, we want to make sure when we are proclaiming the gospel that the people are believing in the right God and that God has revealed himself in this way. Now, you can, um, you, you know, in the, in the, obviously it's taken us several weeks to just kind of work through and massage these things through our minds, and we want to do that in discipleship, but even in a, like a, a brief sense, right, you want to talk to people about who's this God that we're talking about here, um, and you can do that pretty briefly, right? Uh, you can go to John, or excuse me, Matthew 28, 19, baptizing them, if you're going to we're going to talk about people coming to faith. We're going to, they need to repent, believe, and be baptized, right? Uh, that's where Jesus wants them to go. Well, what are we going to baptize them into? We're going to baptize them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're bringing them into that family or portraying they're being brought into that family. And so we need to tell them, hey, see this here? They, these, there's one God, uh, and yet he eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Take them to a couple passages. Show the basics. And then later in discipleship, you can talk about, well, how do they, how do they talk to, how, how do they interrelate, right? That's later, but the, the, you know, the basics of one God and three persons, we should be able to do that, right? Because, uh, you know, otherwise we're, I mean, what are we? I mean, the, 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 the church fathers fought and died for this kind of stuff. <laughs> we need to be uh, on our game when we're talking about the Trinity. So, uh, Emily. Yes. Sure. No. I I would back it up. I would say to faithfully share the gospel, you've got to share the Trinity. Because it, what are we confessing? We're confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. Well, how does that relate to the Father? How does that relate to the Spirit? To, 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 to have a right relationship with the true God, you've got to know who the true God is, right? So when we are sharing the gospel, yes, we, we, don't, we don't want people... Um, so think of, let's think of Jehovah's Witnesses for a second. Jehovah's Witnesses, I think, uh, and some of you probably know more about this than I do, I think um, that Jehovah's Witnesses would be happy to say that if you believe in Jesus, you will be saved. Now, they're going to add some works to that at somewhere along the line. Uh, and they might even say, oh, yeah, you confess Jesus is Lord. 
but they have a fundamentally wrong conception of who God is and who Jesus is. Or the same with Mormons. Mormons can use that language. Yeah, you're saved by grace through faith after all you can do, right? That's kind of how they would talk. Um, So we've got to be able to distinguish our message and our God from the false God of Mormonism and the false God of the J-dubs, right? Who are kind of like mock Christianity. They're like Chinese, bad Chinese imitations of of Christianity, right? Um, And so we need to be Trinitarian in how we share the gospel, even at a basic sense, right? It's not like we understand all the nuances, but you've got to know the God that you're confessing and relating to. Mike. Yes. Yeah. 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 Because remember the goal of human existence, i.e. the goal of the gospel, is knowing God. So you better be able to describe at a basic level, right, uh, the truth. The Trinity, because that's how God has revealed himself. And it's intertwined, as we've seen, with the gospel itself, right? It's not separate. It's not a separate doctrine. It's in, it, makes, it makes the gospel the gospel. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Eden. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Right. right. And yeah, and we and we say, you know, like. Uh, you know, I've used the language, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are sweeping us up into the inner Trinitarian life. By, me, I'm, by that, I'm saying, you know, uh, we are always and forever and will be creatures. Always. We'll never not be creatures. Um, so we're gonna, our relationship's going to be different, fundamentally. But it's still, the, the, you know, and so to, to your point, right, we're not going to become gods. We're going to enjoy the one true God for, um, for all eternity. Let's pray, and then uh, one thing I'll say before we go to our gathering, as we sing, I'll just draw attention particularly how we sing. Watch for how we are talking about God and how we are talking about the persons, right? And hopefully understanding this more brings more joy and intentionality when we're singing. Uh, someone asked me, I think it was Carol, hey, are you going to talk about how does this shape our prayer? Because this definitely shapes our prayer. We'll get there eventually. We need to talk about that. Uh, but, but yeah, that's, that's the idea. Think about that when we sing. Our, the shape of our worship should be Trinitarian on a Sunday morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we do want uh, the shape of our worship uh, in the gathering, which is going to happen here shortly, to be Trinitarian. 
where you, Father, are exalted, where we are exalting the Son uh, by means of the Spirit. As, for, as your Apostle John said, that our fellowship is with the Father and the Son by means of the Spirit. We, we are grateful for that. We are grateful for the adoption of sons and daughters. We are grateful for your love, your eternal love for each other that you have then brought us into, O oh Lord God. We praise you and thank you. And Lord, help us to understand and help us to live these realities out. Help us, as we were just discussing, to proclaim the gospel in a Trinitarian way, that we are truly proclaiming you, that we are truly letting people know what kind of who you are, that they might know you. And Lord, we pray as we proclaim the gospel that just as our mouths salivate because of how awesome you are and beautiful you are and glorious you are, we would pray as we share the gospel that people would salivate they would hunger and that by you spirit that they would be awakened regenerated and come to know you so lord we pray these things we pray that you would forgive our fumbling words and ideas and pray that you would just be just be honored um, as and and blessed even as we are just children um, trying to love you as our father and um, ask for this and pray these things in jesus name amen